for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world. We are live and amplified. So let's get ready to podcast. Fire it up. Welcome, everybody, to another live and amplified livecast. I'm your host, Tom Quiet, and we are back at it again with another amazing podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Sarah Murdoch. How's it going today, Sarah? It's going pretty good. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Been really excited, uh, really interested in chatting with you, getting to know more about you. Um, So I want to take that second to welcome you to the podcast and can't wait to get to know more about you. but before we get into all that, I do want to take a second to thank everybody that's been supporting us over the last several years. Um, we've just recently jumped over to Twitch here within the last three months and would really appreciate it if you could help us grow the community. And if you're giving us a listen, give us a follow, you know, subscribe, whatever you're feeling. And we'd really appreciate that support if you can, um, as we continue to try and grow our uh, Twitch streaming family, so to speak. Um, and then also all of our old podcasts are in the link below. And that's the end of my little pitch for the for the moment. But we have a very special guest, like I mentioned, Sarah Murdoch. Um, Sarah, I'm like I mentioned, really excited. Uh, before we kind of jump into the new projects you've been launching, you just did a really cool vinyl project, which I've seen kind of making. I don't want to say making the rounds on social media, but because that sounds kind of weird. But um, you know, definitely seen other artists uh, working on this project. But uh, let's kind of take this moment to have you introduce yourself, kind of give a brief introduction to who you are and what got you into music. Yeah, I'm Sarah Murdoch, as you've said, um, human being, musician, cat lover. Um, <laughs> what got me into music? Oh, my God. <laughs> so what actually got me into doing music was, I'm not going to lie, mental breakdown. Um, I, I was in a really bad relationship and, um, had been doing acting. That was my career before. And then, uh, the, the relationship got really bad. I got out of the relationship and was taking a lot of time to like recover afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mentor at the time, Ken Schatz said, Oh, you should come to this, uh, music group that I host where we sing like traditional folk music and we like all just have fun and it's really great. So I went to a few sessions of that. I was going to that and discovered that I really loved music and that it sort of helped me express all of the feelings that I had, you know, following the shit that went down and, um, yeah. And then started doing music. So I was performing, I was in a jazz trio for a while doing that with a, with an upright bassist and a drummer. And then I would play the guitar and sing. Um, and sometimes we would have a pianist instead. Um, and then, yeah. And then I started writing my own music, um, and really got into the guitar, started playing the baritone guitar. And now that is my instrument of choice for writing and playing and just generally vibing with. Awesome. Awesome. That's really cool. And so you're originally from Pennsylvania, correct? I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm back where, not in the exact city that I grew up in, but close to it. I'm living in Allentown, Mm -hmm. um, but I grew up um, out in the middle of the woods in Bushkill Township Mm -hmm. um, and like surrounded by a huge state park in the Appalachian Mountains. And so the part of the trail actually goes almost through my backyard. So like my mom walks on it all the time. I would Mm -hmm. walk on it a bunch. 
Um, and it's, yeah, just like a really lovely, beautiful area. And I've been back here since 2020, mm-hmm. you know, everything that happened yeah. <laughs> in yep. 2020, um, moved out of New York, came back to be closer to my family. And I've just, yeah, just kind of been sticking around and, and it's nice because Allentown is really close to Philadelphia and New York city. Mm-hmm. So it's great been getting to know more of the people in Philadelphia and get more involved with like the Philadelphia folk song society, where I just joined their music co-op, um, and got to perform a show for them about a month ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but then it's nice to also still have access to New York city, but be in a place that's slightly more affordable. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I can only imagine how expensive New York city is right now. Cause oh my God, yeah. <laughs> oof. Um, but no, that's really awesome. And how, what was it like growing up in Pennsylvania? Mm, I had a really hard time actually. I didn't really fit in. Okay. Um, cause neither of my parents are from Pennsylvania. My okay. mother's from Georgia, like oh, wow. deep, deep Southern Georgia, like her, her family, um, grew up, she grew up on, um, a farm in Georgia off of a, clay road that was called the smith family road because the, her family was the smith family and they were the only people who lived on the road oh, wow. <laughs> so like that's how rural she grew up and then my dad kind of grew up all over he he like his family was from boston oh, wow. he lived in boston and washington dc and chicago okay. and then they met in philadelphia um when he was at um the university of pennsylvania and she was working for a student group there mm-hmm. and that's how they met um and so they kind of wound up living in the lehigh valley because my dad refused to move any further south and my mom refused to move any further north and so they're just kind of like well i guess it's the lehigh valley for us then <laughs> it's interesting that pennsylvania was kind of that fall off where i'm not moving any further north and it's like any further north you'll be in canada <laughs> Well, there's still like all of New York state in between. I mean, like, and also there's still like a good half of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania's pretty big. And then there's New York state. But yeah, I I guess that shows how much U.S. geography I actually know. But anyway. Well, my older sister and her husband um, live up pretty close to the Canadian border in like northern, northern New York. Yeah. And so for them, it's like a six or a seven hour drive to get Mm. down here. Yeah. 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 It's a, you're in Waco, right? Yeah, I'm in Waco, Texas, but I'm originally yeah. from Chicago. So, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, it was a transit. You know, it's funny. So to touch on a couple of things, because uh, we, I just spent four hours in the car with a bunch of coworkers, yeah. and we were talking about like all these different cool things that we're gonna do at work. And it's like, man, you guys are just giving me reasons to want to stay in Waco. Like next year's the 30th anniversary of the Waco siege. And that was Mm -hmm. one of the primary reasons why I chose to move to Waco out of the couple Mm -hmm. of options I had is because I was really interested in learning the history of that, you know, like what happened, what really happened, you know, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and now next year's the 30th anniversary of the, that whole situation as like, well, that's a once in a lifetime thing, like something as iconic as the Waco siege and it's the 30th yeah. anniversary. Yeah. Okay. I guess I'm staying until next springtime, I guess. And then yeah. uh, Waco is supposed to be the epicenter for like a huge, what they say? Solar eclipse in 2024. Really? Yeah. 
Oh man. Like it's an eclipse. I don't know if it's solar or lunar, but mm-hmm. like, there's an eclipse that's supposed to happen. And it's just like, man, that's a once in a lifetime thing too. So yeah. I guess I'm here until at least August of 2024. Sorry, dad. <laughs> <laughs> Is your dad still in Chicago? Is he like, Come no, back. my dad lives in Florida. He wants me to move to Florida. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, I still got a sister that lives about uh, I think she's about an hour and a half away from Chicago. So she's the closest. So, yeah. But that's yeah, nice. no, that's, that's cool that you're in Pennsylvania and you kind of found your, I don't want to say found your way back home. That sounds weird, but you kind of moved your way back home after the uh, randomness that was 2020. So yeah. 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 I, 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 yeah I, I, I don't know. I feel like I kind of, I feel like I kind of stumbled home. If we're going to give me any verb, I stumbled okay. back. That's Fair. And you were in uh, New York before the pandemic? I was, yeah. I was in New York for like eight or nine years or something like that. And I, when I left, I went to college in Connecticut. And then I lived in Connecticut for like a couple of years after college. Um, moved to New York City because I wanted to do, to do acting. And that was where I wanted to be to do theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, lived there uh, until 2020, I was, I was doing a sublet situation in a tiny, tiny little apartment that was Mm -hmm. just big enough for, for me, my mattress and my cat. And, um, or the room was the Mm apartment, the apartment itself was like bigger. It had like, you know, roof space and it had Mm -hmm. a nice common area, but the the room that I was in was like teeny tiny. And, uh, and just as we were hearing about, you know, the lockdown was going to come down, I kind of looked around and I was like, I cannot do lockdown in this tiny tiny little room i gotta i gotta go fair very fair very very yeah. fair. um that's cool so you got what so what kind of came first was it the music the acting or was it kind of both came together it was definitely the acting okay first yeah that that's what i was the most passionate about growing up and i still love it i kind of miss it every once in a while i think like would i like to do another play or something and um and maybe is the answer, but definitely acting came first. And the thing that I always tell people that always like blows people's minds is that a lot of people, um, and one teacher in particular that I have to be like, Oh yeah, you can't sing. Um, you shouldn't try. You're never going to make any money doing that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you're showing them wrong, aren't you? I guess so. <laughs> it's, that's, uh, yeah. Oh, um, so you, Pr- primarily as far as acting it's been like plays and mu- like plays and musicals or are we talking like movies TV no just plays I've only ever had a speaking part in one musical and that was right after I graduated it was um the play or the musical um 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee mm. which is a hilarious cute little show that's all about like kids who are in a spelling bee and they're trying to compete to win the spelling bee mm-hmm. and part of the charm of the show is that audience members will get called up to be part of the spelling bee um and so it's a little bit of improv it's it's a little bit of you know just straight musical theater mm-hmm. um and so it was really fun when we were rehearsing it to have like the audience member stand-ins would be like somebody from the crew or somebody who's on the directing team so that we could practice choreographing how to work with people who didn't know the choreography yeah. um and also like how like how to like make sure they didn't run off into the wings or like <laughs> make sure make sure that they also like got out at the appropriate time there's a moment where um 
you know, one of the audience members is supposed to get up and compete in the spelling bee. And the, the point in the script is like, this is when they leave, they have to leave. Mm -hmm. So even if they get the word right, the person who's the host for the spelling bee or the judge for the spelling bee just keeps giving them words until they get out. Um, and so that was, yeah, it was, it was a really, really fun time. I did it at this tiny little, well, not tiny little theater, but I did it at a theater, um, in, I want to say Putnam, Connecticut, but I think I'm mixing up my towns. Um, no, Sharon, Connecticut is mm -hmm. where it was. I think, um, just gorgeous little, you know, woodland town mm. right on the border of New York state. It was super fun. Nice. Nice. I, yeah, I've never done plays. I don't have the, not that I don't have the desire to do it. I just have this thing called stage fright. Oh yeah. It's so funny. I did not think that I had stage fright. And then I started performing music and I got terrible stage fright. I got really, really bad stage fright, um, which I still get to a little bit of a degree. Like my hands will shake really badly mm -hmm. for like, maybe like the first song or two until I'm able to relax into it. Um, which is often why I will start off a set with an acapella song, like just like a short acapella song. So I can kind of start working out some of those nerves. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I was getting really awful stage fright where I, I didn't want to do it. I was like feeling ill before I'd have to go on. And then um, I just had a lot of friends who gave me really good advice about stage fright where somebody said that one way that you can do it is you can, uh, just acknowledge that you have stage fright and be like, yeah, well, you know what? I'm just going to go on. I'm going to do it anyway. So the stage fright can come with me up on stage and can be a part of it instead of like focusing so hard on getting it to go away, which might make you more stressed about it instead, like inviting the feeling to come with you. Um, and then the other thing that somebody told me was that Adele got really terrible stage fright. And I think still does where like, she'd be climbing out of a window before the show and they'd have to like grab her and be like, no, Adele, you have to go on stage. People pay for this. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, if Adele gets stage fright, you know, it's okay that I get stage fright. So I don't have to be so stressed about it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Who was it that there was a famous musician that stopped doing live shows because she had such severe Oh yeah, it was the guy from the Beach Boys. Um, oh my God, the Bare Naked Ladies have a whole song about him. Yeah. Uh, and, well, because I was thinking there was a female singer that oh. stopped doing live shows and would only do them for very rare special occasions or like very pricey tickets, is what I'll say. Oh. I don't want to say it was Celine Dion because that's not right. That yeah. doesn't oh. sound right either. But I don't know. Was... That's a really that's a good question. And you have I've... to look that up. Yes, I. It's uh, it's gonna burn me, burn at me until I get an answer. So I'll have to look it up while we're sitting here chatting. But anyways, <laughs> um, so you uh were doing the acting and like acting in plays was that through like high school or were, are we talking like younger older like oh like younger yeah like I um I loved the Lion King when I was a kid and I memorized the entire thing and I would start performing the entire thing like the entire thing at random mm -hmm. and I don't just mean like you know like Hakuna Matata and then like stop there I would start at the beginning and I would go the entire movie through without I would be in the middle of a grocery store and I'd be like mom guess what and she'd be like what and I'd be like Natalina and I would go and she'd be like oh my god 
So she, so she and my dad, and I think, um, a relative who ran like a children's opera company in Boston or something like that, were like, we should get this girl some acting lessons and get some of this energy out. Mm -hmm. So they got me involved with the Pennsylvania youth theater, which still is running, uh, which is in Bethlehem. And, uh, yeah, I was doing plays there. I was doing ballet lessons. I was doing, you know, you know, jazz lessons, doing some jazz hands. Um, and, and I was also doing voice lessons. Um, so my voice teacher really liked me and my voice teacher wanted me to pursue that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, first, I just never, I never got cast in musicals. I think because a lot of the lead parts for women are soprano or were soprano. I don't, mm-hmm. maybe it's different now. Um, and I'm more of like an, an alto. Mm-hmm. So I feel, I feel like maybe that's like a reason why, and I also don't have a very musical theatery voice. Mm-hmm. You know, I would yeah. characterize my voice as like kind of dark, yeah. um, whereas a lot of musical theater voices are very like. Ah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was sitting there trying to, as you were describing it, I was like, wait a minute. Yep. Nope. That checks. That, that makes <laughs> Because like any of the plays that I've seen, they have like a very, I don't want to say, or musicals, not plays. Uh, any of the mm-hmm. musicals I've seen have a very animated or like a like like a very like yeah. bright yeah there you go bright yeah nice. yeah very very bright kind of voice and that's that's not really like the sound quality of my voice yeah and they're like specifically projecting because it like that old theater adage speak for the person in the back of the room you know mm-hmm. and, but um yeah no that that's interesting that you bring it up and then um at what point did you kind of transition into music um, yeah, that was, that was after I went through a really terrible divorce, um, was when that happened. And I had my aforementioned mental breakdown. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was in act, I was, I was still pursuing acting at that time. And mm-hmm. I did like do like a few plays after I went through all of that. Um, but I was finding it really really difficult to be able to be vulnerable enough Mm -hmm. to be able to act. Um, whereas singing felt very calming to me and Mm -hmm. it felt like, it felt like with the singing, I was able to express my feelings in a safer way. Mm -hmm. Um, as opposed to, I don't know, acting just felt very scary to me. It felt like incredibly vulnerable and, um, hard to do. Mm -hmm. And so I, yeah, so I started doing that and then, um, just really, really, really loved it. Um, I had always wanted to play guitar or something like that, but I, I hadn't done it for whatever reason. And then finally I was like, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck it. I'm gonna learn yeah. how to play the guitar. Yeah, for sure. And so what was it about the guitar? Was it just the guitar just, or like, what was it about it that kind of drew you to that instrument specifically? I think um, I started with like a, with like a standard, or well, I actually started with a mandolin is what I started okay. with, which I got as payment for an acting project that I did. Um, it was this really cool project where um, essentially the way that I always describe it is that if you picture a film mm-hmm. and every scene in the film is distilled into one still image, mm-hmm. that's what this project was. So there's like, you know, a cast of characters and a plot and something that's happening, but you're, you're only observing it through one single image oh. and then drawing the story from that single image. So the character that I was playing in it played the mandolin and I had never played a stringed instrument before. I played like some piano growing up, but mm-hmm. not very well. Um, and so then I had this mandolin and I was like, oh, well, this is really great. I'm enjoying this. But a lot of the songs that I wanted to learn how to play, like there just weren't tabs for the mandolin. 
because I wanted to play like Queens of the Stone Age. Um, and so, <laughs> so I eventually picked up the guitar because I was like, I feel like this will just be easier for me mm-hmm. than fighting with this mandolin all day. And it was, um, it was, it was, I've, I really enjoy the guitar. And um, I started playing the baritone guitar because I was like doing a lot of stuff in C tuning, mm-hmm. which is two steps down, maybe more um, from standard tuning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like my, my strings on my regular acoustic guitar, which is like flopping around a lot because they're not really, they weren't at the right tension yeah. for it. Um, and so I had this, the same night that I played a, a song um, for, an, for a, a showcase. I had two guitarists that I really respected both come up to me separately and go, Hey, have you ever considered a baritone guitar? And at the time I didn't know what it was. And I was like, but that sounds cool. Let me look into that. And I did. And I thought it was awesome. And I bought one and I still, I started with my electric, which I still have, which I love. And then I eventually got an acoustic so that I can take it with me to any kind of circumstance where, you know, I wouldn't have an amp or something like that, but I would still want to play in a baritone range. Mm -hmm. And I love them. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I just want to throw this out there really quick. Anybody that's uh, watching, if you have any questions that you would like me to ask Sarah as we kind of go through this uh, podcast and conversation, uh, feel free to throw them in the chat. I forgot to mention that at the beginning. But uh, if you're listening and you have any questions, feel free to throw them in and I'll be glad to ask them for you. Uh, so, Sarah, you're, you are you go through this trying time after a uh, divorce and then you have a mental breakdown that kind of puts you on the path towards music uh during this time are you like doing covers or have you started exploring writing music or what is like writing your own music kind of come into play so during that time I was actually doing a lot of traditional folk music Mm -hmm. is what I was doing um like especially like murder ballads or anything to do with like dying or a lot of child ballads. I was doing a lot of child ballads, which for anybody that doesn't know, those are like old, old songs from England, Scotland, and Wales mm-hmm. um, that a guy named Francis Child, he went around to all the little villages and he was like, hey, I heard that you know a song. Do you want to sing it for me? Mm-hmm. And the person would be like, oh yeah. And they would sing the song and he went around collecting all these different versions of songs. Cause like every, every little town or every person would be like, I know that song, but I know a slightly different verse for, for this part. And so some of these songs go back to like the 1600s um, and they're, I think that they're beautiful. And there's, it's, I have uh, one volume of a collection of child ballads, which is like this thick. And it's like <laughs> volume number one out of five or something like yeah. that. So there's hundreds of these songs. Um, and every once in a while I go back to them for inspiration for my own songwriting because you know, the fact that the fact that so many of them have survived and are still being sung today by a lot of people, um, I think speaks to how the the way that they're able to speak to somebody's soul, the way that they're mm-hmm. able to speak to our humanity, you know, like in the way that Shakespeare is able to still speak to our humanity, where, yeah, it's like in our it's maybe like an archaic use of the language. Um, but there's still something really universal about, you know, singing about love and about loss and about losing mm-hmm. things and, and people dying so much more death in traditional folk music than I think people expect. Or realize. Or realize. Yeah. Yeah, but I was, yeah, that's, that's what I was doing when I was starting out. I wasn't playing, you know, like Fleetwood Mac covers. I was, Mm -hmm. I was playing, you know, songs about ravens debating which part of a dead night they're going to start eating first, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. 
and was that due to like the mind frame you were in at that time or was that always the type of music that you were a little bit more drawn to at that time it was definitely it's definitely always that kind of subject matter has always been more of what i'm interested in mm-hmm. um like not just music wise but also like movies film mm-hmm. uh you know plays that i would want to do i i always want to engage with darker feelings mm-hmm. i think than people might expect from me when they first see me i definitely also feel like when i if i'm at like an open mic or if i'm performing at a place for the first time and you know i'll be wearing like floral dress and like girl with a guitar people will be like oh i know what's gonna happen and i'll be like no you you don't yeah and then i'll be like here's a song about you know a woman murdering her two newborn babies and they'll be like what (laughs) uh yeah very fair. Uh, so, and then what was kind of the transition into you exploring your own creativity and your own writing? Was there like a transition or did it just kind of, kind of come to a point where it's like, oh, I should probably start writing my own music? It kind of, it kind of just like started to occur naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I was very uh, much involved in traditional folk music circles in New York city and um and a little bit more throughout new england more so these days Mm -hmm. Uh, but at the time like i was just getting to meet everybody in new england who was interested in that kind of music Mm -hmm. but also at the same time i was going to open mics at like sidewalk cafe when sidewalk cafe was still a thing in new york city which was the home of the anti-folk sing or anti-folk scene uh which i always thought was hilarious that like here was me with like my you know child ballads and everybody else was playing all this wild anti-folk music um, and so I was going to that and I was thinking to myself, like, wow, it's really great that all of these people are able to write their own songs. And then I started being like, I guess that I could write my own songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had a friend, um, named Jordan who invited me to a songwriting workshop that he was hosting. And he was like, Sarah, I know that, I know that you don't write songs currently, but I think that you can do it. You should come and start writing some of your own stuff. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, one of the songs that I wrote there, like the first song that I wrote, the first song that I wrote, I guess, I still play today. It's called Strawberry Blonde and it's on, a clip of it is on my Instagram. Um, and I, I have it on my YouTube channel, a version of me yeah. and my friend, Kate Clifford singing it. Oh, nice, nice. So I have to ask before we get too far away from this, mm-hmm. what is the anti-folk scene? <laughs> Because I have no clue what that would even so, be. So that was a scene that was started in New York City. Oh man, if anybody, if anybody from the old Sidewalk Cafe watches this, they're gonna be like, she doesn't know her history. Um, but it was essentially started by someone who who I can't remember their name, um, but they did not get into a folk festival, a folk mm-hmm. music festival that was happening in New York City around the same time. And they were like, fuck it, I'm gonna do anti-folk then. You don't want me on your folk? festival we're gonna do anti-folk and so everybody is always like what is anti-folk um and it's just kind of encompassing of just the weird singer songwriters who just they they want to do their own thing they want to like you know branch out in their own way have their own sound it's it it was a home for weirdos is what it was fair so it's the punk rock to folk music Yes. Yes. That's a better way to describe it. Yes. Awesome. That's kind of what I thought in the back of my head, but I'm like, you know what, let's just go for it. Let's find out what it's all about because I have not a clue. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, and so 
where were you or how long ago did you start writing your own music? Who was it? I want to say like 2016. Okay. Probably. No, 2016 is when I started performing music. And so I probably didn't start writing music until like 2017 or 2018. Gotcha. So you did a good year, possibly two years of just straight covers and just kind of learning, learning the, I don't want to say learning the basics, but learning the basics of uh, playing the guitar and you know yeah. all that stuff yeah that's, that's awesome um and then a- as you kind of start working your way into the original or original music realm of being a musician who are you listening to for in- influences were you still going through some of your uh traditional folk music or who are some of the musicians you were listening to definitely still a lot of the traditional folk music J- just because i i I love the poetry mm-hmm. in a lot of those old songs. Okay. Um, and I love the way that a lot of the people that, you know, the people who do continue to see, sing these songs, you know, the same person can sing different, can sing the same song, but they all get something different from it. They're all, they'll all re- relate to it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And so I really love going back to those and being, and, you know, looking at them to get inspiration for how you can sing about something that may be about a specific person or a specific event, but then have it still be so universal that anybody can see themselves in it. So I do that a lot, but in terms of like living people that I listen to, (laughs) (laughs) definitely, definitely Hozier. I love Hozier. Um, Lyra Lynn is somebody that I've been listening Mm. to a lot lately that I, I think that her sound is, is really, really great. She's got that whole vibe of like, because she was the musician in season two of True Detective. And in my opinion, the best thing about, see, the only good thing about season two of True Detective. Um, and so I'm like, that's what I want to do. I just want to be somebody who's like playing really dark songs in a shady bar while people make terrible life decisions. That's my aspiration as a musician. Let me do that. Um, let me be the backtrack to you fucking up your life. Um <laughs> And so she's really great. I also really like um, Queens of the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. I love them. Um, and I love uh, Laura Marling mm-hmm. is somebody else that I think has, she plays the guitar beautifully. Um, she has great lyrics mm-hmm. and I love her voice. Um, Cause she's just got like a very like rich voice. Uh, that I think has, a, has it's it's rich and it's resonant. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, yeah, it's not it's not like a small voice, even though it's not like she's singing really loudly like Beyonce or, or somebody mm-hmm. or Rihanna or somebody like that. But she even if she's singing quietly, she still has a lot of resonance in her voice, and I really like that. Awesome, awesome. And so, um, as you've kind of gone through this process of learning who you are creatively what's been the hardest part about writing your own music uh not editing myself too quickly i will often i'll start writing something and i'll get maybe a couple lines in and i'll be like ah but does this sound like you is this does this sound like you should you be writing this song you know doing (laughs) doing that when it's like when it's like i have two lines on the page and maybe like one chord and it's like i could i could give it another minute before i pull the plug on this song 
I could, I could let myself explore this a little bit more rather than just, you know, just being like, ah, I guess I got to give it all up. I got you. So you're, you're very quick to question whether this is the song for you and you, but that that's also kind of a good trait to have. This is going to sound a little weird, but that's also kind of a good trait because you have the ability to be like, know when it's not working and just kind of cut it. But yeah. I guess the downfall would be doing it too quickly and not giving the chance to be what it is. Yeah, I think there's a definite line that I'm learning to walk between mm -hmm. being self-critical and uh, self-knowing. Mm-hmm. You know, having having a good self-knowledge of what it is that I sound like, but at the same time, not, you know, cutting myself off at the knees. I remember that Lord one time um, said in an interview uh, that if you, if you're too quick to say this doesn't sound like me, you might not ever actually discover what your sound is, mm. because if you're so quick to edit, um, you don't leave yourself room to grow. Fair. And I'm paraphrasing. She, she said, you yeah. know, something a little bit different. Um, but I think about that sometimes whenever I like pick up my pen and I'm about to cross everything out, I'll be like, mm, let's try it. And I did that recently um, for a songwriting class that I was doing with the Philadelphia Folk Song Society, um, where what was the prompt that week? The prompt that week was to write something based on a riff. Mm. And that's not usually how I write. I usually, you know, start with a feeling or I start with chords or I start mm. with um, sometimes I'll start with like, uh, I'll pick up a book of poetry and I'll flip open to a random page and I'll pick out a phrase and I'll be like, write a song about that. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never written from a riff. And so I was really struggling. And then finally I was like, uh, just, I was like, I'm setting a timer for five minutes and in five minutes, I'm going to have written a song and that's that. And I actually wound up coming up with something that I really liked. Um, and I've played it for some other people. And it was one of the songs that I recorded for um, a vinyl project that I did recently. Mm. And yeah. people respond really well to it. So sometimes, yeah, sometimes uh, my self-editing can really get in the way. Awesome, awesome. Well, you brought it up. Let's talk about the vinyl project because I've seen um, it pop up on Instagram and Facebook uh, from a few different musicians that we work with. Uh, what's the name of this vinyl project and how did you kind of get involved with them? It's called least of all sound recordings mm -hmm. and it's called least of all because they do it on, um, what are they? 78s that are the mm -hmm. smallest size of vinyls. Mm -hmm. And so since they're the smallest size, they are the least of all recordings. So least of all, I think it's, <laughs> I love a good pun. So I'm like, Oh, that's great. Um, I heard about it from my friend, Lorraine Leckie, who I met at sidewalk mm. um and i was involved with her songwriters group for a very long time um and she has a fantastic band called lorraine leckie and her demons mm -hmm. and they're like much more of like a classic rock and roll kind of sound um she's also on a reality show on discovery with her husband uh, where they buy antiques together oh wow okay uh, yeah so she's she's a hoot. I love her. Um, but she did it, uh, you know, back before the pandemic. So when mm. they were only doing it in person in Brooklyn mm. and she did it and she's like, Sarah, you have to do this. This is so cool. Um, it'll be such a great experience. Um, and you'll get to record a bunch of vinyls for people because how it works for anybody that doesn't know is that you, um, for instance, you know, like my mom would order one or, mm. or Tom would order one and it would be Tom's specific 
mm-hmm. copy of a song. So it would be yeah. Tom's version of Strawberry Blonde. Mm-hmm. And you record the vinyl live so that it's being cut live. It's not a pressing, it's a cutting. Yeah. And so every cutting is unique and there's no other performance that's like it in the world which I think is super cool. So it would be like, you know, like, Hey Tom, thank you so much for buying this. Here's, you know, this version of Strawberry Blonde Mm -hmm. I'm going to play for you live. And then it's a little live performance that you have captured on, on vinyl. That's awesome. So it's like a real life NFT almost. I know that's what I was saying. Yeah. It's like a real life NFT, but it is fungible because you can hold it. (laughs) That's a, that's really cool. And I'm surprised we're not seeing more people. Like, I mean, they're, busy because it seems like they're always got a new is is it considered a project or how how do they kind of classify each musician or is it just i i mean i classified it as a project i guess it depends on if you go in or not i think that they might call them sessions okay they might call them that's um but yeah they they have the you know you can go into their studio in brooklyn and you can do it all there or you can do it remotely which they started doing the pandemic mm-hmm. which is what i chose to do because i wanted to be able to drive up to providence to have my friend kate clifford sing harmonies on a bunch of them because she's an amazing singer and you know i'll write my songs and i'll be like oh this is great and then kate will sing harmony on them and i'll be like this is amazing so i always feel like she takes my songs to the next level <laughs> awesome awesome so uh how long has the entire process taken to do the um vinyl recordings was this something that took months weeks no just a couple i mean it's 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 taken me weeks to just be able to schedule everything Uh, is really that's that's been the most time consuming is scheduling like scheduling the time to drive up to providence scheduling the time with kate and then once i came back and i had a couple to do um that i was just going to sing solo that kate Mm. wasn't going to sing on it was scheduling the time outside of my job to like be able to set up my home recording studio and do that. But then actually once you get it started, I mean, it's like a couple of hours, you know, cause every recording has to be five minutes or less cause mm-hmm. the, you know, the records yeah. are only so big. So yeah, you can, you can get them done pretty quickly. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. How, how, um, you already explained how you got in touch from through your friend. Um, so now that that's kind of under is it it's a continuous project as people kind of want songs or is it is there like a deadline to it all it was a it was a two-week window okay uh, for people to be able to order um but i i'm i'm hopeful that if i ever wanted to do it again that they would let me (laughs) yeah for sure (laughs) that would be fun you know because it would be like it would be cool if it was like a continuous thing but it would also be like Oh, I haven't done one for a month and a half, but now I got to go through this whole process of doing like two edit. Yeah. So that, that would be, <laughs> I haven't done it for a month and a half and now all of a sudden like 20 people have ordered and now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's like, Oh no. So, Oh, uh, so for this kind of a good, really good segue into the, where you're kind of at creatively now with your own music. I know you, just released a solo a couple of solo singles this year and then you were also talking about before the podcast that you had another project that you were working on uh so kind of go into where you're at creatively right now with uh your all all your own music yeah well i released two singles um a couple weeks ago i guess um that were songs that i had recorded in February 2020 for mm. um, an EP that I was going to do. 
Okay. And so, you know, like booked studio time, got together a whole band, brought Caden from Providence, mm. um, all of this stuff uh, and recorded it like February 20th, yeah, <laughs> 2020. Sure. And then I was like, oh, I guess it's the next stage. And then the, the world happened. Yeah. Um, so I've just kind of been sitting on a couple of these songs and um, yeah, I, as, as I was getting more and more back into the swing of things this year, I was like, I've been holding on to these songs forever mm. uh, because I keep worrying about every little mistake that I hear I'm doing that like perfectionist thing where you're mm. like, oh, if I keep fidgeting with it, it'll eventually, and it's, it's never going to be perfect. You have to learn to let things go Yeah, is what I'm working on at this phase in my life. So I was like, these are, these are great. I should let people hear them. I should, I should put them on Spotify, you know, Apple music, what have you. So I did. Um, and one of them is, is a little snippet of a traditional folk song that mm-hmm. I learned from Elizabeth Laprell. And then um, who's a, you know, mm-hmm. very great traditional folk musician uh, for people who don't know. And then the other one was one that I wrote. Um, and it was, it was written specifically about somebody that, I had very deep feelings for, and, but we were in a classic situationship sort of sort of thing uh, where I was like, I love you. And he was like, oh, that's really nice. Thanks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one of those things. <laughs> oh my God. So, so yeah. So I, I had written that song before things kind of turned south with him. Um, but it's, it, it was about like, you know, the, the, when you meet a new person and you're so excited about how things could go, mm. uh, but then still in the back of your head, you're like, oh, I bet this won't go anywhere. So that's what that song was about. Gotcha. Very understood. So um, in the dark, you'd been sitting on it for a good minute. Mm-hmm. And then obviously, as you mentioned, the world happened. Yeah. What was kind of, was there a specific turning point i know you kind of talked just talked about this but what was like the turning point to be like okay i i need to get this out yeah it was actually that i started working with um a company called b squared mm. um that has been helping me like like getting me connected with you and mm. um and helping me book a tour that i'm going to be doing coming up mm-hmm. and so i had these people who were like working really hard for me and i was like but I'm, I don't have, I don't have like a single on Spotify for them. I feel like I'm not holding at my end of the bargain. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I should put this out there so that like the, so that I can help these people help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sure. one of those classes, like help me help you moments. Yeah, for sure. Makes perfect sense. <laughs> and so you put it out there. It's, uh, it's out there as a single right now. Is the plan still to kind of work towards the, you said ep right not album yeah it was an ep when i was thinking about it but now i've got a lot more songs that i really like you can see i like i spent a lot of time writing over the pandemic um so i've got a bunch of songs that i'm really happy with and that i and that i feel like sound like me um so i would i have a goal for myself uh before the end of the year to get back into a proper studio Mm. and record like an actual album um that can then be released that can be let loose upon the world yeah gotcha very fair <laughs> that's awesome well i can't wait to hear the new upcoming music is it how long so this is all this would all be stuff that you wrote during the pandemic yeah yeah almost almost everything would be stuff that i had written there was one song that i started 
you know, when I was first starting to write songs, mm-hmm. um, that then I sat on that. I didn't, I didn't sit on it, but I was kind of like, oh, it's not right. Uh, it's not done. It's not mm-hmm. finished. And I put it in my drafts and forgot about it for a long time. And mm-hmm. then, um, maybe a month or two ago, no, more, maybe more like three months ago, I was, um, swapping tunes with my friend Kayla, who mm-hmm. I've known since I was a kid. And she was playing me some of her stuff because she's a songwriter. And I was like, oh, what can I play you? What could I play you that I don't play all the time? And I found it in my notes. And I was like, oh, let me play you this. And she, and I was like, it's not done, but you know, it's fun. And so I played it for her and she was like, that's really great. You should finish it. And she actually helped me like fill in some missing lines. Um, so that one, yeah, that one I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Um, and yeah, definitely want to record it. Awesome, awesome. I'm sure it's going to be what's a a studio session like for you that's the word i was looking for studio session yeah i i mean since i'm a solo artist um whenever i do get a a band together even Mm -hmm. when i was doing the jazz trio thing Mm -hmm. um i like to get together people that i trust them musically like i Mm -hmm. like i trust that they're talented enough to be able to handle themselves and they don't need me to be like play this at this moment and then I, what I like to do is I like to play them my music and then be like, what is it that you hear in it and what excites you about it? And I kind of let them do their own thing. Mm-hmm. I'm much more interested in collaborating with people than I am in being like, I'm, you know, I'm Sarah Murdoch and you do what I say. Cause that's not really me. Um, yeah. I, yeah. So I really like to be able to get together and just kind of feel things out with people. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Really cool. And uh, you also got some, You'd mentioned that you're working working on a tour. You have a tour booked. I mean, one thing that caught my interest is you have a music festival on your schedule, or at least your uh, the porch stomp. Oh yeah! Oh my god! I'm so excited about that. Um, that's going to be the the porch stomp on Governor's Island, okay? Which is a a, a little island um, south of Manhattan mm-hmm. uh, that has like some old historical buildings on it on one side, like little houses with porches on them. And so Porch Stomp is a bunch of musicians come and play on the porches. And so every house that you go to has a different mm-hmm. booker who's booked for, for the whole festival. Mm-hmm. So you can go and see like just a huge range of music. Um, but Governor's Island is also really cool because, you know, it has the, the historical side with, with all the little buildings. And then you kind of go up and around and over a hill and there's another side that has like a sculpture garden and food trucks and uh, people like running around with their dogs and their kids. So it, it should be really, really fun. And I've wanted to play it for years. Mm-hmm. And I was so excited because um, the Folk Society of New York asked me to come and do a set this year, which I'm That's super cool. excited about. That's awesome. And of course, obviously, I'm guessing this is probably the first one back since 2020. Maybe. Maybe. I I feel like they did one last year. Okay. Well, I mean, with it being out, like I with it being an outside festival, and you know, probably a little bit lower key. Mm -hmm. Guessing, could be wrong. Um, You know, maybe they got got into it last year and were able to put something out there. So. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. And uh, what what is the now that you've got the single out and you're working on the shows? You got shows working and uh, the tour planned and uh, going into the studio. Hopefully later this year. What's kind of the rest of 2022? What's the goals? What do you want? What do you want to 
accomplished to consider 2022 a success? Ooh, well, I want to, I want to survive doing my first tour. Mm. Mm. <laughs> um, I definitely want to do that. The, uh, I want to, you know, get into the studio. The other thing that I want to do is get onto the college music circuit. Mm-hmm. Cause I think that that would be amazing. And I've heard that you can make pretty good money mm-hmm. doing it. And so I would love to do that. So that's, that's my, one of my big, big goals is because you have to join an association and then you have to present at a conference in order to be booked. You can't just uh, call up the college and say like, Hey, I would love to come play for you. You have to go through like a a certain avenue in order to meet the right people. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, I guess in theory, if you wanted to play colleges, you could book venues or unofficial college venues or bars Mm -hmm. or whatever, but you know, sometimes it's not that easy. And that's like, yeah, so. Yeah, it's also, um, I learned about it from a friend who, uh, she she does my taxes, but she also does uh, her own one woman show. Mm. And so she told me about it and she was like, Sarah, I make, I'm making really good money doing these because it's the, the college has the budget for it. Mm. So it's not just, you know, like $50 and, um, you know, a tip jar. It's, mm. it's like, it's like bills money. It's like yeah. rent money. Um, it's like legit money and not hot dogs and handshakes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, I would, I would like that. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> legit money is always good. Mm-hmm. It's better than no money. <laughs> I'm all about that. Uh, no, that's really cool. It sounds like 2022 is going to be an exciting year and you got a lot going on and it's, it's finally great to see the independent music scene, although it's not back where it should be it's thrive or starting to thrive, I guess. Yeah. Got to put that starting in front. Um, mm-hmm. So with all that going on in 2022, what do you do to kind of decompress from life? What are some of your escapes, hobbies, you know, all that fun stuff, just kind of away from music and your day-to-day grind? I love Star Trek. Okay. <laughs> I love Star Trek. Um, I started watching it uh, last year. I had a whole bunch of surgeries last year. Last year was hard because I had a lot of health issues. Um, But I started watching Star Trek. I started with The Next Generation just randomly one day because it was on Netflix. And I was like, you know, I haven't watched this since I was a kid. I don't remember anything. Mm. Let me me watch it now. And um, yeah, so I started with The Next Generation. I've gone through a couple of the movies um i've gotten done with D- deep space nine mm. now i'm almost done with voyager i'm on the last season of voyager mm. i'm absolutely hooked i'm i'm totally yeah. a trekkie i'm yeah. obsessed with star trek i was doing for a while on my facebook like you know, like my personal facebook um because yes i'm still on facebook mm. i was like live blogging it for people mm. with like my hot takes about star trek with like images and gifs and, and and me being like a complete little nerd about it and people were loving it um so i yeah i'm totally into star trek i'll probably watch watch some star trek later tonight actually awesome that kind of became my my dad and like our weird family thing like not like my dad would always turn on star trek when we were younger and like even now it would be like the original series was always always permanent and then um next generation with uh, picard those were like the two consistents and then every once in a while it would be it i don't think 
I think it was Voyager. Like Voyager mm-hmm. was always like that third option, but it was never Deep Space Nine. My dad couldn't stand Deep Space Nine. It was for whatever reason he didn't like it, you know. But mm-hmm. Voyager, it was like, okay, if we have to watch Voyager, we will. <laughs> we have to watch Voyager. Yeah, I uh I could understand if somebody uh wasn't into the darker way that they took yeah. Star Trek with Deep Space Nine, because I mean, I loved, I loved Deep Space Nine. I, I keep saying that I don't have a favorite Star Trek series, but my mm. favorite Star Trek series might be Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, and it's definitely, it's definitely grittier. It's, mm. it's less episodic, especially yeah. towards the end. I mean, I think like the last ten episodes yeah. of the show are all one continuous arc. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely a bit of a divergence from maybe more traditional star trek like yeah. uh you know the original series mm-hmm. tng voyager because i could tell you i don't remember anything about deep space nine it was mm-hmm. it's just like yeah no um don't remember and yeah. then like what was it in the early 2000s they had that enterprise enterprise <laughs> and my dad was all about it. and like i got into it for a minute because it was just like it was a decent show and it mm-hmm. wasn't so heavy on the weird science fiction. Like it was mm-hmm. like the science fiction wasn't so uh, ludicrous. Yeah, in my mind. It, it was closer to our present time. So yeah. the science fiction was like a little, a little less fiction, a little bit more Real, science, a l- little bit more uh, believable. And then now I haven't had a chance to watch it yet, but my dad raves about, the new Star Trek series that's on Paramount or whatever it Strange is. Strange New Worlds? I, that's the new that, new one. Is that the animated series? Oh, no, that's Lower Decks. Okay, no, he doesn't watch the animated series. I th- think he started watching the Picard series at one point, and then now he's on to this new new series. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, it's like, I haven't watched any of it, so I don't know, but I haven't watched any of the new ones. I saw I saw like two episodes of Picard, but before mm. I started watching mm. my Star Trek. Mm. Um, so I was like, oh, I have good memories of Picard. I'll watch a couple episodes, but I got lost really quickly. So I'm I'm now I really want to watch Strange New Worlds because everybody says that it's so good. Mm-hmm. And so I'm debating since it takes place before the original series. Mm-hmm. I'm like, could I start watching Strange New Worlds and not have any and and like not be spoiled for anything? Or I, should I continue my my trek through yeah. all of the series chrono- chronologically? I think that's why they did this series the way they did it, so that they can get new fans in and then mm-hmm. maybe be like, oh hey, there's other stuff out there, kind of like the Star Wars. Play. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Not to go on a whole Star Trek rant, but it's it's one of those. I people are either going to be like, "Yeah, Star Trek," or they're going to be like, "We didn't come here for Star Trek. We came here for music." For music, <laughs> you know, just see a giant dip in our viewership at about <laughs> fifty-four minutes. It's like, oh guys. But I, I will say that's the one thing I've really enjoyed about having all this uh, digital streaming platforms for TV and stuff is mm-hmm. I've gotten to go back and watch old series like i've got some star trek because like for me next generation that's just kind of the Mm go-to and then um what else do i got uh mash for whatever reason (gasps) mash is like that show that i 
I've never watched MASH. Before I watched Star Trek, I watched all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I had never seen. My mom thought it was too scary for me to watch when it was on, so I never saw it. Um, So I watched watched that, and that was the first thing that I, like, live blogged on my Facebook, and people loved my reactions to it. So I keep thinking um, that I should put out another ask for, like, what show that I haven't seen should I watch next? And MASH is a show that I have not seen. Really? Maybe I should watch MASH. It's on Ion all the time. Like mm-hmm. they do two hour blocks. And, you know, the interesting thing about the show is it, it I can't even say, like, it, it just looks so realistic in its low budget nature. Cause it's like a Vietnam, mm-hmm. right? Vietnam or Korea. I don't remember specifically right now, but. It's been about a month since I've seen a show. So I'm sitting here like, is it Vietnam or Korea? I think it, it's one mm-hmm. of those two, though. Yeah. But just like everything there. And it, it's an interesting show. I think you might enjoy it. It's not mm-hmm. as political as you think it would be. But it yeah. Is. yeah, so it's it's interesting. So okay. definitely at least give one of the episodes a, a chance. So I'll have to do that. Awesome. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. So... Before we start wrapping this thing up, I have this little game that I like to play with everybody that comes on. Okay. It's called Rapid Fire Randomness. (laughs) So if you are ready, I'm going to just rapid fire as fast as my fat Midwestern tongue will allow me to. I'm going to rapid fire off some of these questions from a random question generator, and you're just going to answer them as quickly as you can. Don't breathe too much into it. It's not the SATs or anything so just kind of is this is this like a random word association where you're going to be like pentagon and I'll be like blue um or do I have to have like a coherent answer we'll find out we'll see what the what the random question generator throws at us okay all right you ready yeah all right what is the best question you've ever been asked this one What is the most ridiculous thing that you've gotten in trouble for at school? Oh, oh, oh my God. Being late. I had detention for being late all the time because I was late every single day. And they'd give me detention. I'd be like, I'm still going to be late. I don't care. <laughs> what was the last song to put you in your feels? Oh, uh, this song. I think her name is Lydia Luce. It's called Occasionally. Never heard it. I'll have to check it out. It's good. Who is more adventurous, you or your parents? Oh, me. Definitely me. Yeah, no question. If you could be insanely gifted in one school subject, what would it be? Archaeology. You know, that is very interesting because I took that. Oh, dang it. I broke. (laughs) Whatever. All right. (laughs) We'll get back to that here in a second. Okay. (laughs) What are you working on right now to improve yourself? Journaling. I'm doing journaling uh, with, uh, you know, questions about growth and about uh, getting to know myself in order to confront patterns that I do that are not helpful for me becoming a better person. Awesome. Awesome. Do you prefer Mexican or Chinese food? Chinese is always my go-to because I love dumplings. So I'm going to say Chinese. Okay. 
what is the one thing you've always wanted someone to ask you about? I don't know. I, oh, I guess my cat. I always want people to ask me about my cat. I love my cat. <laughs> yes. uh, what movie have you gone to see opening night? I'm pretty sure that I saw Big Fish opening night because I loved Tim Burton back in the day. I mean, Tim Burton's pretty iconic. I get it. Yeah. So, and then to end it all, what fictional movie would you like to become reality? <sighs> Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. There's some shit I want to forget. Okay. Awesome. Well, that was rapid fire randomness. As you can tell, there's no rhyme or reason to any of the questions. It's just a solid good time of see how much trouble we can get ourselves in. <laughs> so, oh, but once again, I do want to thank you so much for jumping on. It's been an absolute blast chatting with you. Um, before we go, though, if people want to check out your music or check out, uh, interact with you on socials and you see your show schedule, where's the best place for everyone to get that information? Probably my Instagram, because that's, I'm, I'm not hugely active, but that's where I'm the most active. And that is Sarah Murdoch Music. Awesome. It's my awesome. Instagram. And then Facebook is the same, Sarah Murdoch Music. Um, and I do have a website that I sometimes update, and that's just sarah-murdoch.com. <laughs> Only sometimes? Only sometimes. Hey, that's all right, though. I, I get in these streaks of, updating my or posting on my socials where it's like okay i'm gonna be really good i'm gonna post six times a day every day and we're gonna get the engagement back up and that lasts for about a week and then it's like yeah that was a lot of effort to put it's into a full -time it full-time job yeah the reason why people hire social media managers is a full-time job and if you're already working a full-time job it's yeah. hard it's hard oh yeah for sure and I, I mean i like the interaction with people but to be fair I, I don't like the links in which I have to go to interact with people, at least yeah. on social media, but you know, it, it is what it is. So it is what it is. Yeah. But uh, once again, I do want to thank you so much before we leave one piece of advice for the young musicians out there. I, my piece of advice for the young musicians is don't think that you're going to hit a point at which you're too old to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, or where it's not worth trying to do things. You know, I'm, I'm not like very old, but I definitely started a little bit later than I think most people do. I think there are a lot of people who are like 14, you know, like Billie Eilish, 14 mm -hmm. and, and doing her thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's not 14 anymore, but she was when I think Bellier came out, she was 14. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so people will be like, oh, I'm 23, I'm 25. I haven't made all of my life goals. Mm -hmm. There's no point I should give up. And you're you have so much more life yeah. beyond your 20s um there's no there's no reason to think that everything's going to end when you turn 25 or everything's mm. going to end when you turn 30 you have so much life left yeah. you know if you're going to live until you're 80 or 90 like how many more years is that in order to be yeah. able to do the things you actually want to do with your life yeah for sure and you know just after everything we've gone through in 2020 and 2021 it's just like no matter how old you are, if you got a dream, go for it because yeah. tomorrow is not guaranteed. Exactly. And like to piggyback off what you said, I was 28 when I started doing live and amplified. And that yeah. was 
six years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, or yeah, six and a half years ago. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, and we're just now kind of getting to that point where it feels like we're starting to catch a little tread and, you know, going somewhere so that yeah. it takes time. Like it does take time. Yeah. Had, yes. Had I started, started when I was 20 and young and active and, you know, out there. Yeah. We might be somewhere right now, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. So but it, it would also be different. You know, mm-hmm. you would be, you would be a completely different person because you we would you would have started from a different vantage point in your life. Mm-hmm. I think I think that sometimes people are like will kind of begrudgingly be like, oh, it's okay that I started a little bit later. But I think I think that's actually fine because you're coming to it with a with a different mindset than maybe somebody who's 20. Yeah. Don't uh, yeah. For sure. I 100 percent agree. 100 percent agree. But once again, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Yeah, thank, thank you for everybody having me. for that's been active in the chat and uh throwing in their uh comments and whatnot so really appreciate you if you haven't already please give us a follow please help us grow our twitch following as we've got some really cool plans for this channel in 2022 uh, as traveling becomes more of a a possibility although for dollar 50 cent gallon gas doesn't you know doesn't help the situation but you know that's a conversation for another day Mm-hmm. But uh, once again, Sarah, thank you so very much for hanging out with us. It's been an absolute blast. Really appreciate you. And uh, once again, thank you everybody for hanging out. We will talk to you all later. Yeah, thank you.